Hey there, and welcome to yet another episode of the Yours Truly podcast. My name is Claire Tuning. I am a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, and food pun, peanut butter and jelly enthusiast, all of the above. I'm really happy that you're joining me here today. I'm actually going solo for today's episode, so it's just you and I today. Hope you don't mind. My guests will be back next week, though. I have a couple of really awesome ones lined up, so stay tuned for that. But we are just going to kind of jump right into it here today. I will tell you why we are jumping right into it without a super long intro is because I actually have (laughs) Chick-fil-A waiting for me when I finish recording this episode and I am very excited about it. You might be like, Claire, why is it waiting for you? Why would you dare let it sit out on the counter and get cold? Well, I'll tell you why. I live in the city And all of my fellow city dwellers will know that if you have to go out for something in the middle of the day on foot, like I don't have a car where I live right now. I just tend to to walk everywhere, which is very convenient in a lot of ways. And I'm glad to have the privilege to do so. But when you go out for something and it's really cold and windy, you don't really want to have to go out again on foot later in the day. So yes, I did purchase me a nice Chick-fil-A meal at 2 p.m. today, hoping it's still going to be good when I, I don't know, maybe get hungry here later in the evening. But that was way too much information about my Chick-fil-A habits. don't really know why I went down that rabbit hole. But one more thing while we're on the topic, and I, I understand as I keep talking about this, I'm defeating the purpose of what I said earlier, a short intro, but you know, alas, I digress. But I've discovered that if you mix lemonade, now I use the Chick-fil-A lemonade because it is delicious, but if you mix any type of lemonade with a lime flavored seltzer water, or to be honest, probably any flavor seltzer water would be delicious, but it makes like is a really delicious lemon, lime, citrusy mocktail. I mean, you could put alcohol in it if you feel so inclined, but I'm sipping on that. And let me get a, let me get a sip. <sighs> Live taste test. Very good. 10 out of 10 would recommend, but we're going to move on from this Chick-fil-A topic. Although I, I do appreciate a good chicken sandwich. We are here <laughs> to talk about more than just that. So like I said earlier, I am solo here in today's episode in honor of National Nutrition Month, and I thought it would be helpful for us to go through three huge eating slash nutrition tips that aren't always talked about in the mainstream media that I think are really essential to building a strong and a healthy relationship with both food and your body. But before we get to those three tips, we do have a couple of housekeeping items here. And the first is our Yours Truly Goal Slayer featured post of the week. If you are new to the podcast, this is a segment in every week's show where I read a post from our free private Facebook community in hopes of maybe making you feel a little bit less alone or maybe in hopes of answering one of the questions that you also have about intuitive eating or, you know, anything that falls under that category. So this post comes as a question. I don't know if you've noticed, if you've been on Facebook recently, Facebook added this new, like, question format. 
I don't know, it's kind of like a, a post, but it's formatted a little bit differently and then people can provide answers. But anyways, this individual writes, Hi everyone, I've been working on intuitive eating for a few months now and I'm looking for advice from people who work in jobs where you don't have the option to snack in between meals. I'm a teacher and my school is in person, which means mass stay on at all times. I can eat before school, at lunch, and then after school, but not at any other point during the day. I'm struggling with balancing being mindful while eating with the reality that I need enough sustenance to last me from breakfast at 6 a.m. to lunch at 10.30. By the way, lunch at 10.30 is an early lunch, but if you're going from 6 to 10.30, yes, you need sustenance to last you in that period of time. She continues by saying, then lunches are always such a rush because I have to make sure I also run to the bathroom and clean desks between each group of students. So I scarf things down, which sometimes leads me to feeling overfull. For those in similar working conditions, how do you balance getting enough energy while also listening to your body? Any advice is appreciated. So I'm not going to read any of the specific comments to this post. I will sometimes do that when I'm featuring this post of the week. Um, but I do want to highlight the very valid point that this individual is bringing up. And I want to clarify this by saying I personally do not work in an environment where I have to be time restricted in my eating or I have to wear a mask all day, I cannot even imagine the challenge that would be for anyone in the healthcare industry, maybe any teachers as you know this person is. So I just want to clarify my answer by saying I don't have this particular lived experience, but I do receive this question a fair amount, which is why I wanted to highlight this post. I actually received um, a couple of DMs the other day with this same exact question. So it might be helpful here to understand um, an idea in the intuitive eating framework that we call preventative eating, or sometimes you'll hear it being referred to as preventative hunger. And the idea behind this is there are going to be times where we need to eat outside of those biological hunger cues. Uh, there are many times when this may apply, but especially in this example here, there might be times when you are not always going to be able to eat immediately when those hunger cues strike, especially in the example of this teacher, right? If you only have the option to eat, you know, whenever the kids do or two times a day, then it makes sense that, you know, maybe sometimes we're going to almost have to, to force an eating experience in a way to make sure we have adequate energy to get through the rest of the day. So I think oftentimes we can kind of fall under the impression with intuitive eating that it is only about eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full. And although hunger and fullness are two principles within the intuitive eating framework, they are only two out of the 10. And, you know, one of the other 10 principles of intuitive eating is talking about body respect. And I really think that a way to care for your body and to respect your body is to look out for yourself and your future needs and act in a way that's going to leave you being as fueled as possible, even if you aren't able to honor those hunger cues exactly when they come up. So 
that is just to to validate, I guess, anyone who might be in that situation who is wondering, you know, is this intuitive eating? Can I even do intuitive eating? If I have to eat on more of a structure or a schedule, the answer is yes, because at the end of the day, intuitive eating is a self-care eating framework, and that might need to look different for everyone and maybe even different depending on the day. And one final thought that I will offer for anyone who is maybe finding themselves in a similar situation is when possible, when you're having to, you know, pack your lunch or prepare some foods ahead of time to have on hand for these times when you are going to be able to eat, when possible, we want to think about including some foods with staying power. The staying power is a concept that I talk to my clients about a lot, and it's pretty much just a fancy way of saying that, you know, certain foods have the ability to offer us more lasting fuel than other foods do. This isn't to say that foods are good and bad. It's simply a fact that some foods just stick with us a little bit longer. Um, an, an example that I will often give is something like a salad. Again, nothing wrong with a salad, but if we have a pretty bare bones salad that is made up of, I don't know, say for example, I'm thinking of like a very diet culture salad, right? Where it's like lettuce and shredded carrots and that's it, right? That is not a lot of sustenance. Whereas if we added something like maybe a chicken breast and a hard boiled egg and some sort of nuts or seeds or some dried fruit and a really satisfying dressing, maybe with some crackers or cheese on the side, maybe a combination of both, I'm making myself hungry now, but we see there's a pretty clear difference between salad A and salad B. And salad B are the one with um, you know, all of those different ingredients with the staying power. That might be a more appropriate and a more fueling option to try to include in those moments when you are trying to fuel up for the foreseeable future for the next few hours, especially if you know you're not gonna have access to be able to snack or you know, do any of that in the meantime. So I hope you found those thoughts helpful. And if you would like to come join our community to maybe contribute to conversations like these to help answer questions and or ask any questions of your own, you are welcome to join us. And you can do so by visiting clairetuning.com slash community. When you go to that page on my website, you will find a very simple application that we will have you fill out and submit. My team and I will review it and then accept your request to join the community. Again, that is clairetuning.com community, and I hope to see you there in our free private group very soon. But as I mentioned earlier, and also in last week's episode of the podcast as well with Delina, which if you haven't got that episode or you haven't listened yet, I would definitely recommend going back and checking it out. But I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that it was National Nutrition Month. So if you are at a place in your life where you are kind of feeling a pull to work on your relationship with food and you feel that National Nutrition Month or this March might be the right time to get started, then I have a little gift, a little something something up my sleeve for you. 
And that gift is $100 towards your enrollment in my signature intuitive eating discovery course. This course is for individuals who are interested in stopping that yo-yo cycle of dieting and having fear and guilt around food rule their lives, but maybe they don't really know where to begin or how to get started. I know for a fact that there is no lack of information about nutrition and intuitive eating out there, but I do know based off of what some of my previous clients have shared with me is that there is a lack of information about where to start and how to actually start implementing the principles of intuitive eating into your daily life. So if this is you, you are in the right place, not only here in the podcast in general, but also maybe in learning more about the course. So the course itself contains a variety of resources that will help you learn how to take those first steps towards having a confident and a free relationship with food. Just to give you a quick overview, there are eight guided coaching lessons that are filled with real life tools that you can apply to your life as soon as you listen to each coaching lesson. Lesson. <laughs> There's also downloadable PDF worksheets that follow each coaching module so that you can look over key takeaways, there are journal prompts, and there are also activities there to help you set realistic goals and take action on what it is that you're learning in each coaching lesson. You'll also get lifelong access to a private Facebook community exclusively for course participants where you can ask questions, we have a weekly live Q&A session, and you can also receive group support from both myself and others while you're there. That is different from the community that I mentioned earlier because this one is just for members of our course. And there's also some free bonus content as well that comes with your enrollment. So there's a mindful eating guide, there is a body image healing lesson and a Q&A session with licensed professional counselor and body image coach Brianna Campos, who you may know is Body Image with Brie. There's also a resources guide. There are phone wallpapers. There is a lot of cool stuff in um, the, the free bonus content there. So if you want to learn more about the course, claim your spot and claim that $100 off, that gift for the month of March, then you can visit clairetuning.com slash course. Again, clairetuning.com slash course. And to claim that $100 gift off of your enrollment for this month only, so March 2021, you can enter the code March 2021 all together, all one word, doesn't matter if it's capitalized, but March 2021 at checkout. And I hope to see you on our course participant list and in that Facebook community very, very soon. So now let's go ahead and get to those three tips that I mentioned that I had for you at the top of this episode. So again, these are going to be three tips that I feel are really essential when it comes to building a strong and a healthy relationship with food and your body. This is obviously not an exhaustive list of all there is to know about intuitive eating, nutrition, etc., but they are some important ones, I think. So the first one, did you know 
that there are actually different types of hunger. For example, and we're not going to go into all of these here on today's episode, maybe I can break these each down in future episodes, but just to give you an example of some of the different types of hunger we can experience, we have physiological hunger, of course, this is where we are hungry and we need fuel and energy in order to survive. There is also emotional hunger, which you may have experienced before if you are a human being. Congrats. There's also that form of practical or preventative hunger, which interestingly enough, I actually talked about that a little bit earlier in the episode when I was going over that Facebook community post, but that's the preventative hunger. And then the one that I want to focus on a little bit more here in this conversation is one that goes by the name of taste hunger. So you might not have ever heard of taste hunger, but I'm willing to bet that when I tell you this next story and when I describe what it is, it may be something that you have experienced in your lifetime. So I have this client, and of course I'm not going to share this client's name, but let's say, I'm going to make up a name, let's say her name is Kate. And Kate and I had a recent conversation about how after nearly every eating experience, she always felt like she needed something sweet, some form of dessert. Maybe you have also felt this way. And I want to clarify before I continue on with this story that there is nothing wrong with wanting to have dessert or something sweet or something tasty after a meal and after an eating experience. So that is not where I'm going with the story. I'm not going to tell you that that is wrong or that is bad, uh, but I am going to offer maybe a perspective that you haven't thought of before, and it does have to do with taste hunger. So again, this client, we're calling her Kate, she shared with me that after nearly every meal, there was something in her that was not satisfied, looking for something else that usually fell into that sweet category. And I asked her in our session, you know, have you ever considered the idea of taste hunger? And she goes, what the heck is taste hunger? <laughs> what kind of sorcery is this? And I said, well, it sounds like based off of what you're sharing, because she, she shared with me what her meals looked like, and we were able to identify that she was eating enough. She was eating regularly throughout the day. So that is thing first and foremost, are we eating enough? Are we eating regularly? This client was. But I said, you know, it sounds like you are uh, eating enough for you, meaning you are satisfying your hunger and your pleasant fullness cues. So I'm wondering if you've ever heard of taste hunger because it feels like maybe there's some sort of level of satisfaction that is missing in your eating experience. Because taste hunger can oftentimes appear when we are no longer feeling physically hungry. Now, of course, it can also show up when we are feeling physically hungry. And this is maybe when you have like a really strong craving for something, right? Me earlier, I was like, I'm hungry 
and I want Chick-fil-A, right? That was kind of when the biological hunger and taste hunger aligned, but oftentimes it will show up when maybe you've just eaten or you know you're not physically hungry for whatever reason, but you're still thinking about food or something else that sounds good. And when I shared that with the client, you know, this is what taste hunger is. It's when your, your mouth is wanting for something, when your mouth is hungry, she nodded her head. She like had the, the like light bulb moment that I saw it in her eyes. She was like, yeah, that is it. So if you experience this, I first and foremost want you to know that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. Kind of like I was saying earlier, this could rather be an indication that maybe your meals and or your snacks are missing an important satisfaction component. And to find what you know satisfaction component you are missing, you might find it helpful to experiment with adding in some different flavors and or textures in your eating experience. So going back to my story with said client Kate, we kind of identified as she was walking me through the general composition of her meals and some of the favorite foods that she likes to incorporate in them, we identified that there was a common theme throughout the foods that she was including. They were all kind of along the the savory lines of the taste profile. They were all kind of denser and like chewier in texture. So think things like meat or potatoes or maybe a really substantial vegetable, something like, I already said potatoes, but like, you know, corn, peas, just things that feel substantial, things that feel kind of dense. And as we brainstormed or laid out kind of the typical components of her meals, I said, you know what, Kate, I'm seeing that there is a flavor profile missing and there's also maybe a texture that you might find satisfying. So we identified that throughout her meals, there wasn't really ever anything along the sweeter side. And there also wasn't often something that was crunchier or like harder in texture, which interestingly enough, we kind of figured out that many of the things that she was taste hungry for after the meal fit that profile. They were, you know, she always wanted something sweeter and something with a little bit of crunch, say something like, you know, a cookie or a piece of candy, or maybe, I don't know, a waffle with Nutella, whatever that might be. So we kind of set this goal or set this experiment to maybe switch up some of her meals and start to incorporate within the meal something that maybe was a bit sweeter or something that was crunchy. So for example, this could look like you know, adding something like a waffle to breakfast that normally just has like eggs, for example, right? It's a little bit sweeter. Or maybe at lunch or at a dinner time, maybe it is adding a sauce that is a little bit sweeter. Or it could be adding something like a piece of fruit if you feel so inclined and you like that. It has a little bit of a a sweeter profile and depending on the fruit, it could also have a little bit of crunch. I don't know, I'm thinking of grapes. I don't know why those popped into my mind or like a berry, a cherry, you know, you could let your imagination run away with you here. But I think this could be a really interesting experiment for anyone to try who is maybe feeling plagued by the sense of taste hunger 
and thinking like, what is wrong with me? Why am I never satisfied? Well, maybe start to assess some of your meals and ask, is something missing that I could potentially add in that would leave me feeling a little bit more satisfied, not only physically, but mentally as well. Because again, this taste hunger is this mental and emotional component of eating, which is arguably as important, I would say, as the the physical component of eating. Um, Also, final note here on this topic, this client also shared um, something really interesting with me at the end of the conversation. We are kind of going over, you know, the goal, the idea, and even in our next conversation when she came back to kind of give me the lowdown on how the heck this went over the past couple of weeks. But she said, you know, yeah, sometimes I implemented a different component to the meal and that was great. And sometimes she realized that she was just gonna have something after the meal. She was gonna have dessert afterwards and that was fine. So again, I don't mean to present this as a substitution for dessert or to say that you shouldn't have that, but I think it can be interesting to just, you know, try something new and give yourself some different options. Next thing, thing two or tip two, I guess I should say is the pendulum of the binge restrict cycle. So if you're a frequent listener of the podcast or a member of the Facebook community, or especially if you're one of my clients and we've been working together for a while, this probably sounds at least somewhat familiar to you. I actually received a DM the other day, which is kind of why this is at the top of my mind, but this person was wondering why restriction backfires. If I remember correctly, the person's DM was in response to some sort of video that I posted where I finished a sentence, or maybe I finished the video in its entirety with restriction backfires. And she just had a very genuine question, like, why? Why is that? Why does it happen? And my brief short answer is, well, it happens for many different reasons, but one reason, one of the many, is best described through this pendulum analogy. So let's imagine that I came to wherever you are listening to this episode right now. So I show up in the passenger seat of your car, maybe I knock on the door of your home, I pop onto the back of your treadmill, (laughs) wherever you're listening to this, and I'm holding a pendulum, right? And I ask you to turn around and look at me and engage in this conversation. And I grab one of the little balls at the end of the string and I pull it all the way to one side as far as this string will let me pull the ball to one side is where I am currently holding it. And then I lock eyes with you. (laughs) We got some eye contact going. And then I let go of the little ball. My question for you is what then happens to the ball or to the other ball on the other side of the pendulum, depending on what kind of pendulum I show up with, right? But it is going to swing all the way to the other side because for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. So how we relate this to our relationship with food is that when we enter into an eating experience, feeling what I call unpleasantly hungry, some people call it hangry, (laughs) whatever that might be for you, but when we head into a meal or a snack, 
usually a meal, especially like a holiday occasion, right? When you've just been like depriving yourself all day long of food for whatever reason, maybe diet culture has wrapped its way around your brain and it's, you know, telling you to do this thing. But you, for whatever reason, come into this experience feeling overly hungry. Maybe it was intentional or maybe for whatever reason it was unintentional, but it just happened, right? Sometimes life happens and, you know, especially going back to that Facebook community post earlier, if you're maybe in a work environment where you can't really have snacks or you do have to go long periods of time in between eating, it makes sense why this is sometimes going to be your reality. So I'm not saying this to bring judgment or shame, but rather to just create awareness as to why this happens. So again, you've entered into this eating experience feeling unpleasantly hungry. Now, what is more likely to happen then during the course of that meal, snack, whatever it is, you are more likely going to end up on the back side of that meal, maybe feeling kind of unpleasantly full, right? Because we entered in at an extreme, so it's more likely we're going to end feeling another type of extreme or, or uncomfortable sensation. And I want to point out here that this is not because you have a lack of willpower, right? When we come into these experiences feeling that extreme sense of hunger, then all intentions of quote-unquote moderation and mindfulness really get thrown out the window because in these moments, it is going to be harder for you to tune into and honor what we call your pleasant fullness cues. Not because you don't want to or not because something is wrong with you, but rather because in that moment, you are then fighting against biology. And when we do that, biology is always going to win. And thank goodness it does because your body just wants to keep you alive, right? Your body is on your team. Your body is your friend, even though sometimes it might feel like, body, what the heck are you doing? You know what I'm saying? So that is the pendulum analogy of the binge restrict cycle. Again, I recognize that we do not always have full control over ending up in situations where we feel unpleasantly hungry. But if you sometimes find yourself like, willingly restricting or um, I guess I shouldn't say willingly restricting but maybe choosing in that moment to not honor a hunger cue or whatever that might be then you know this is just maybe a moment where you can recall back to this conversation and say okay where's my pendulum am I full pulling it too far to the side and Am I okay with the outcome or the, or the potential you know, repercussion if I do continue to ignore these cues? It's about having the choice and the awareness, right? Okay, so tip three, final one, and then I'm going to go eat my Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I still have not forgot about. See, this is the thing. This is a total side note here. Maybe we can make this like a... a like a tip 3a before we get to the full tip number three but when you are hungry your body is going to make you think about food way more than you would if you are pleasantly full or fully fueled so i think this is a good teaching moment to say i in this moment am starting to experience some signs of pleasant hunger because i have been thinking about my chick-fil-a in the back of my mind as we have been <laughs> recording this but back to actual tip number three 
nutrition science and science in general is a neutral topic. Many basic nutrition terms have really grown to be moralized and kind of like diety in our culture. The best example that I have to demonstrate this fact is the word carb or carbohydrates. So a lot of the times when I am talking to clients about gentle nutrition, now I've done an episode in the past about when to introduce gentle nutrition into your journey, when to know that it's time. So if you're interested, go back and listen to that episode. I think it, I don't know, it was maybe a couple months ago at this point. It was another solo episode, but this is usually towards the latter stages of our journey as a team because we want to make sure that they have um, a more neutral relationship with food before we enter into this nutrition territory because nutrition in our diet culture is often not viewed as neutral. It is viewed as this very polarizing subject. It is viewed sometimes as strongly as like politics and religion. I know there's that saying that it's like <laughs> at the, the dinner table or on holidays, don't bring up politics and religion, but might I add, maybe also don't want to bring up food or else you're like uncle kevin i don't know is just gonna go off about intermittent fasting or whatever the heck you do not want to hear about but i digress so when we're getting to this point or when i'm getting to this point with my clients about gentle nutrition I have um, kind of this tool that I walk them through and it will often involve me just asking them a lot of questions about what their initial gut reactions are to certain nutrition related terms. And thankfully, you know, many of the time since I am bringing this conversation up with clients, we've already had months together to put in a lot of work as a team, you know, thankfully their responses at that point will be fairly neutral. But let's say, for example, I'm, I don't know, bringing this up to someone random on the street and we're both wearing masks because we're trying to be safe. But if I say to them, you know, carbohydrate, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when I say the word carbohydrate? Maybe you can even do this wherever you're listening to this episode. But I'm willing to guess that a lot of people, and I know this because I've had clients share with me, like, Claire, you know, if you would have asked me this question a year ago, two years ago, my answer would have been, well, my gut reaction is that's a bad thing, or I should avoid those, or uh, I don't know. I was going to say something else, but I don't want this to become a super triggering spiral about all the negative things we've ever heard about carbohydrates, but you get where I'm coming from. So um, the beautiful thing about gentle nutrition, though, we're kind of pivoting here, is that it allows us to look at nutrition without judgment. And when we are looking at nutrition from this non-judgmental and, dare I say, neutral perspective, we can start to understand how different foods act in the body and how they contribute to maybe our energy levels and or our overall sense of well-being without making it rule-focused, right? 
a diet is going to keep you trapped because it's not giving you the why, it's not giving you the choice, it is only giving you rules and requirements and certain things that you are or are not allowed to do, right? Like, don't eat carbs, right? It's not helpful because we start to form this really negative association with something that should be completely neutral, right? It's one of the main macronutrients that our body needs to thrive. But if we're trapped in this diety mindset, we're going to see it as something negative to be avoided because there is so much shame and judgment attached and we don't have that true sense of understanding not only how it can be neutral but why it is essential for our bodies and you know what systems it helps to fuel within the body and how our brain runs off of carbohydrates and all of these things won't get super into depth into the science of carbohydrates but i can in another episode if you are interested you might not be at a place in your journey where you see foods and nutrition is neutral quite yet. And if that is the case, I want to assure you, insure you, assure you, I want to assure you. There we go. Words are getting hard now that I've been speaking for mm, 36 minutes on my own. <laughs> Good thing we're coming to an end. I'm going to get my Chick-fil-A soon. But I want to assure you that if you are in this space where you don't feel like you're able to see foods or nutrition as neutral, that is okay. But you can rest assured that the more you continue to distance yourself from diet culture, from the diet mentality, whatever you want to call it, then over time, the more neutral that food and nutrition can become for you. I was actually talking with a client earlier today, a couple of hours before I am recording this episode, and I shared with her during our call after she shared kind of, you know, her dieting history, what I call the timeline of you with my clients. But I shared with her, like, the really great news is, even though right now it feels really hard, there are a lot of rules, there are some food fear that all of this, all of the negativity that you have around food, it's learned. We don't come into the world with, you know, diet culture on repeat in our minds. We learn that, right? And the good news about anything that is learned is it can also be unlearned over time. As long as we have the tools, we give ourselves the space to do that, and we try to be as kind to ourselves in the process as we can be. So, with that, my friends, I feel like that is a, a good place to wrap the episode. As always, before I hop off to go eat my waffle fries and finish my mocktail, uh, as always, if you enjoyed this episode or anything else that I share here on the podcast, I would be so incredibly grateful if you could take a moment or however much time you have to tap those five stars if you are listening on Apple Podcasts and maybe even leave a review if you feel so inclined. Having listener support and engagement is the best way to help the show grow. If you are not 
listening on Apple Podcasts, you can also do something like take a screenshot of wherever you are listening to this episode, maybe put it on social media, a story, a post, give me a tag so I can see it and repost and reshare. And again, I would be so grateful for your continued support in that way. Final reminder, if you want to claim that $100 gift off of your enrollment in the Intuitive Eating Discovery course, you can visit clairetuning.com slash course and enter that code March 2021 altogether, all one word at checkout. And I would be so delighted to see your name on our course participant list. But that is all I have for you today. So until next Wednesday, take care and I will sign off. Yours truly, Claire.